You're listening to the Adult and Teen Challenge of the Upper Cumberland Podcast. Now, your weekly message from Pastor Tim McLaughlin. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Haggai. And if you do not have your Bibles, that's all right. Just uh, just listen. Uh, maybe you're driving down the road or out working in the yard. Um, I'll share the scriptures with you. But uh, you can go to the book of Haggai. There's only two chapters in Haggai, so uh, uh, we're going to cover most of chapter one today. Uh, I've said this many times. If you've heard me preach at all, that you know that I'm a history buff, that, uh, that I enjoy reading history stories and stuff like that. And one of the things about history that I've learned is that most great empires of the world, and I'm not talking about dictators or, or nations such as Germany or Russia when they tried to rise to power uh, under Hitler. That was not an empire. Uh, that was just a nutcase that thought he could uh, rule the empire, but they had not yet acquired enough land to be considered an empire. But when I think about great empires of the world, those that, that actually conquered much, that had much power, these type of empires, if you look in history, they never fail fell to another power. Uh, they, in other words, they were never conquered by another great power. What happened is they begin to crumble from within. Sin causes nations, churches, and people to fall and crumble. When great empires would get powerful, but they would not turn to God, when they would turn their back on God, they would refuse to acknowledge Him as Lord, they would fall and they would crumble from within. Many in history would say that the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persian Empire at the Battle of Opus because that's what many of our history books would tell us. But we need to understand through the reading of Scripture in Daniel chapter 5 that, that God spoke to King Belshazzar as he wrote on the wall with his finger and he began to tell King Belshazzar that if he did not get his house in order, if he did not repent of his ways, that he would surely fall. And exactly what happened was the Babylonian Empire fell because of the, the sin of Belshazzar and, and the empire because of their immoral ways. Around 539 BC, the Persian Empire replaced the Babylonians as the leading world power. The Persian Empire covered over 2 million square miles and held over half of the known world's population at the time. Haggai is one of three prophetic books, including Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, that were written after God's people began to return from exile from Persia. The prophet Haggai would have been one of those that was exiled uh, as a young boy, possibly a teenager, but then later returned to Jerusalem at about the age of 80 years old. Haggai would have been, uh, because of his age, he would have remembered King Solomon's temple in all of its glory before it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. When the Persian Empire took over and was established, King Cyrus issued a decree permitting the Jews that were going to be uh, those that were exiled under the reign of the Babylonians. King Cyrus allowed them to return home and begin to rebuild Jerusalem and therefore rebuild the temple. And this is really what Haggai the prophet was called to do was to encourage the children of Israel to rebuild God's temple. So in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, it says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai by the prophet 
to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judea, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come. The time of the Lord's house should be built. Now, this is a fulfillment of prophecy by Isaiah in Isaiah 45, and also also a fulfillment of prophecy by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25 and also in Jeremiah 29. In Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 13, it says, And this whole land shall be desolation and astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now remember I said that, that, that Haggai would have been taken away as a young uh, boy, probably probably an early teens, teenager. And so now Jeremiah is saying that they would serve the Babylonians 70 years. Then he goes on and says, Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity. That's important. They're being punished for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on the land... All my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning the nations. It was because of the iniquity of the Babylonians. It, it had to do with their drinking and their, their homosexuality and their, their sin and their rebellion against the Lord God Almighty. That God destroyed this land of the Chaldeans, this land of the Babylonians. And they were turned over and, and, and um, the Persians began to come in and take over the land that the Babylonians had once conquered. Notice that God used the Babylonian empire for his purpose. Understand this. No great empire got there on its own. It was by the hand of the Lord that the Babylonians received their power because the children of Israel had also turned their back on God, had got into rebellion. So God used the Babylonian empire to bring judgment and to bring correction to the house of Israel. So the Babylonians received their power from God but then lost their power due to their iniquity, their sin, and their rebellion. We also see this being an answer to prayer in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 17, it says, Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is in desolation. So again, Daniel's praying and Daniel says, Lord, you spoke to your servant Jeremiah, and you said in 70 years that, that we would be exiled, we would come out of uh, this, this uh, captivity and this bondage that we're in. Lord, when this day takes place, let your face shine upon your sanctuary, upon your temple. So, so this is a fulfillment. Haggai prophesying is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. It's amazing how all this lines up when you read your Bible that Jeremiah prophesies as the children are being taken into captivity. Daniel prophesies as one of those that was held in captivity saying, Lord, when is these 70 years going to come to pass? And then we have Haggai who is on the backside of these 70 years as they begin to return back into Jerusalem from their captivity. So they're released, they're sent back into Jerusalem, and they're given specific instruction by Haggai under the inspiration of God to build the temple of God. 
But as soon as opposition arises, the workers become discouraged and the building project stopped. This has led to spiritual laziness as they begin to build their own houses and they forget about the house of God. How often have we seen this where where people get so excited about something that God has done in their life? Think about how God uh, has, has led you and saved you uh, when you have played out for him to, to bring you out of your bondage and how excited you were when it happened. Think about the children of Israel. Time and time again, they fall into sin and time and time again, they fall into bondage. They fall into bondage to the Egyptians. They fall into bondage to the Philistines and to the Assyrians and then the Babylons and now the Persians. And once again, God comes in and God delivers them when they cry out to him. And as soon as they're free, as soon as they're back in their homeland, they turn their back on God. See, when people are in sin and getting ready to go to prison or getting ready to die, they cry out to God for help. When God delivers them, when God spares their life, when God makes a way for them to come to programs like Adult and Teen Challenge of the Cumberland, they are so excited, but then often many will drift back into their own ways. When we first get saved, people are full of excitement and expectation for all that God has done and wants to do in their life. But if we don't stay grounded in the Word of God, if we don't stay grounded in prayer, if we don't stay grounded with the people of God in church, we become apathetic or we get led away by the discouragement of others instead of staying focused on the remembrance of all that God has done for us. I love in history in 1607, the first English settlers landed in Jamestown, Virginia. The first thing they did was they built a fort for protection. And the second thing they did was they built a church for worship. This is our founding fathers. These are the people that came from England. They were under British rule. They wanted to go to a land where they could worship the one true God. They get on boats and God gives them safe passage to come to this great land. They get off their boats and the first thing they do is they build a walled city for protection from those that they did not know existed. And then the second thing they did within that walled city is they did not build their own homes. They did not build their own shacks. They did not build uh, places uh, to live in what they did is they built a house of worship before anything else. 244 years ago, when this great nation was born, when our forefathers wrote the Constitution, within the Constitution, the first thing they did is they wrote the First Amendment, which was written for the freedom of religion. Within the Amendment for the freedom of religion was placed regulations to protect places of worship, to protect the temples of God, to protect our church. The problem is today that many churches and many places of worship are not honored or respected by society. Pastor Greer preached the other uh, other night that many churches have become nothing more than museums. They've become places for funerals or places of entertainment, but no longer are they places for true worship. Many have lost the respect for the house of God. 
Understand me. It is not about the building. I don't care if your church is a big cathedral. If your church is a a metal building where you come to worship. It's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the motivation for which we come to this place. It's an attitude. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Listen, God wants us to come together. When two or three are gathered, he will show up. It's about the attitude of our heart and where we meet, not about the building in which we meet. The temple... Back in the Old Testament, back in and even in Jesus' time, the temple was the place where they would come and they would worship. But today we are that temple. We are that temple that God places His Spirit in us. The temple is where God comes to meet His children. And yet many do not care for it. They have turned their backs on God when things get a little rough. Haggai chapter 1 verse 3 through 5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple lie in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. I believe that we need to look at this passage of Scripture in light of our own lives. Today we are the temple of God. And I see how so many who call themselves Christians do not care for God's temple. Sure, they will paint it up with tattoos or they will paint it up with makeup. They will dress it up and spend lots of money on the exterior of this body, this temple, so that they can please others. But they have no regard and they have no care for the issues of the heart, the place of worship. Now listen. Whether you have tattoos or don't, I have tattoos. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we begin to do things, we begin to get tattoos because we want to please others. We begin to, as females, put on lots of makeup to try to please others. Or we spend an extreme amount of money on fancy clothing because we're trying to please others. But we're not doing anything like spending time in prayer or reading of the word to, uh, to do stuff for the inside, our mind, our will, our emotions. When we're not doing anything for the temple of God, we care more about what others think. And surely our temple will, will begin to, to, to demolish. Haggai said that we are about building paneled houses, but we do not care about God's house. It's time to consider your ways. Society has come up, become about what I want more than what God wants me to do. People will destroy themselves over a feeling. Does it feel good, they ask? Or they cry out, well, you hurt my feelings. I went to church and that pastor preached on sin and it hurt my feelings, so I'm not going back. I believe the Spirit of God is speaking through the prophet Haggai to not only the children of Israel then, but to the world and and the people of God now. Haggai is saying to the children of Israel, I brought you out of bondage. I brought you out of Egypt and out of Babylon and now out of Persia. But each time you continue to be selfish and focused on your own pleasures. You have been blessed A blessed nation, but when you worship God and serve Him only, God will bless you. But when you begin to turn from God, you will suffer and you will follow others and worship their gods. Haggai is saying to the United States today, I believe, that God has brought you out of the control of the British to a nation where you could worship the one true God. 
God has blessed you to be a great and prosperous nation, but you have turned your back on him for your own pleasures. Haggai is saying to many in the churches today, God has delivered you from drugs. God has delivered you from alcohol. God has delivered you from other life-controlling issues. Yet so many of you have went back to the world forgetting all that God has done in your life. It amazes me where I see people that come to places like Adult and Teen Challenge or they get involved in a local church and that, that program does so much to help them, to give them food, to give them clothes, to give them finances so they can pay their bills, to give them counseling when they are struggling, and yet so many will leave and turn their back on God and God's people. I've seen it time and time again where we help people that are sitting in jails and they cry out to God and they say, Lord, get me out of this and, and I will serve you and I will never do drugs again if you'll just get me out of this jail, if you'll get me out of this prison, if you'll get me out of my mess. And they'll come to programs like Adult and Teen Challenge of the Upper Cumberland and God will bless them with clothing and God will bless them with a, a healthy diet and God will bless them with people that care about them, that want to take care of them and God will bless them with His presence and teach them how to live a life pleasing to Him but then they graduate this program and they get right back out in the world and they get more concerned about pleasing people than pleasing God and before you know it they turn from God and they're living back in their wicked ways and the Bible says in Luke chapter 11 that it's going to be seven times worse and I've seen people that have died in their sin died in their addiction because they turned their back on God just like the children of Israel forsook the house of God the people are, are forsaking the temple of God which is their body and they're doing things that are not pleasing to him it's time for us to consider our ways people care more about themselves than the things of god Haggai, under the inspiration of the lord began urging the governor of the of, of the uh, israel to resume the building of god's house in Haggai chapter 1 verse 7 and 8 he says thus says the lord of hosts consider your ways Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a, the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. When we consider our ways and do everything as unto the Lord and build His temple, which is our lives, our souls, and we begin to live for Him, God is glorified. But He says, go to the mountain and bring wood. People say, well, that's a little tough. Can't, can't you tell me an easier way? Just like when Moses, God spoke to Moses, said, bring all the children of Israel up to the mountain. I want to minister to my people. And they all said, oh no, Moses, you go. That's too hard. We're a little, we're a little scared of what's up on that mountain. God says, go to the mountain, bring wood, build my temple that I may be glorified. And people say, but isn't there an easier way? Go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, attend revival. Oh, there's got to be an easier way. Can't I just uh, say my prayer over my food and, and that be good enough? There's got to be an easier way. Church, we need to consider our ways. My wife tells me all the time, she says, don't just preach and tell people what they're doing wrong, but tell people how to get it right. I want to encourage you right now. I want to give you three ways, and there are many, but I want to give you three ways right now on how to get it right, to consider your ways and to turn from your wicked ways. Number one, we need to be more focused on God and less focused on self. 
Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. See, when we are serving our own selfish desires, we are making ourselves more important than God in our lives. The word mammon is more than just money. It is about our possessions. The children of Israel were more concerned with their houses and their possessions than rebuilding God's temple. We are the temple of God today. But what is our concern? What are the things that we're concerned about? What are the things that we focus on? Are we more concerned with our possessions? Are we more concerned with our feelings? Are we more concerned with our free time? Are we more concerned with what makes us feel good? Or are we more concerned with the things of God? Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49 says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of it was great. What Luke is saying right here, or what Jesus is saying right here in Luke's gospel rather, says when we are more self-focused than God-focused, what we build will crumble when the trials of life come. We will say to him, Lord, Lord, but we will not build our lives on the foundation that he has called us to do. We will not do the things which he says to do. And so when the trials of life come and beat against us vehemently and they're going to come, the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. It's going to rain on those who build their house upon the sand and it's going to rain upon those that build their house upon the rock. But those do not build their temple on the things of God, on the rock of Jesus Christ, when the trials of life come, it will surely crumble. Where have you built your house? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. In other words, put God first, others second, and God will bless you when you do so humbly. But when you put yourself first and you don't care about others and God is nowhere to be found, your kingdom will surely fall. When God is not first and foremost in your life, you have set yourself up to crumble and to fall. The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Consider your ways. We need to learn to be God-focused, not self-focused. Number two, we need to be more grateful and less entitled. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do all in the name of the Lord not in your name, not for your own recognition, not for your own praise, but to bring praise and thanks to the Father. 
The problem with many in the church or those that call themselves the church is that they believe that they are entitled, that they are owed something because they say that they're a Christian. The truth is, Jesus paid it all for us. We are the ones that owe Him. But that is not what God desires. God just wants us to be grateful. My wife used to waitress at Cracker Barrel when she was going through college. And she said that herself and the other ladies that she worked with hated working on Sundays because of the church crowd. They would say that the the people that would come to Cracker Barrel on Sundays were the rudest people, that they didn't tip well. Sunday ought to be a day that everybody wants to work because we should be the most polite. We should be the best tippers. But many of us act like we're entitled and that people owe us something. You wonder why people don't want to come to church. You wonder why people don't want to be a Christian because they look at the Christians and the way the Christians are acting today and we're acting like we're entitled, like somebody owes us something. We owe the world. We have been called to go and serve them, not them serve us. Let me tell you something. When you have this attitude of entitlement, you will be judged. Consider your ways. Psalm 107, verse 1 through 8. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of all the lands. From the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, they wandered in the wilderness and desolation. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of all their distress. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to his city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that we would give thanks to the Lord. That we would understand that we are not entitled, but that we have an attitude of gratitude. As the redeemed of the Lord, tell people, That it's only by God's grace and only by God's mercy that you are where you are and that they can also be there too. When people see us walking in humility, when people see us having an attitude of gratitude, when people see us uh, uh, desiring to care more for others, they will want to know why we act the way we act and we can tell them, you can serve the same Lord that I serve and He will do greater things in your life. But yet people don't want to come to church and they don't want to be a Christian because so many Christians act like we are entitled and yet we are entitled to nothing. John chapter 1 verse 12 through 13 says, But as many received him to him, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. Listen, he gave us the right to become children of God. God gave us this right. We did not earn it, nor could we. Consider your ways. Build His temple, which is your life, through being God-focused and be grateful, not entitled. And number three, we need to be more obedient and less stubborn. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. This is pretty simple. Yet many try to say, well, if he loved us, he would do such and such. If he loved us, why tornadoes? If he loved us, why coronavirus? If he loves us, why are people uh, dying and going to hell? If he loved, listen, listen, people that are doing that are ignorant 
and that is a lie of the enemy. God loves us so much that He ransomed heaven. God gave all that He had. He gave all of Himself for you and I, and He suffered and died on a cross. And all He asks is that we keep His commandments. He does not ask us for our wealth. He does not ask us for our groveling. He does not ask us to, for anything that we have earned here. He just asks us for our obedience to Him. 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 through 23 says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as is obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness is idolatry. Stubbornness is making yourself more than you think, more than you are, thinking that you're better than you are. To be stubborn and not to obey the things of God or to listen to the man of God, to be stubborn and to do what you want to do will lead you right back into sin and will lead you to a place where you will surely crumble. Haggai told them to build the Lord's temple and yet they built their own houses with paneling because they were stubborn. God is telling you to serve Him, to go to church, to forsake not the assembly of yourselves, to obey His commands, and yet people say, yeah, but I want to do what I want to do. What has God told you to do, and yet you have done something else with it? Are you a stubborn, stiff-necked people? Consider your ways. 1 Peter 1, 13-16, He says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy. Let me say that again. As he, God, has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. It is written, be holy, for I am holy. Because of their disobedience, the Lord said through Haggai, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withheld the dew, and the earth withholds the fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on the labor of your lands. God is saying, listen, my house sits in ruins and you build your house because you do what you want to do because you're a stubborn people. I believe our nation, I believe our churches are leaving, living today in spiritual drought because we have lost our focus. We have become, become entitled and stubborn. Let me say that again. I believe that our nation as a whole, that many people, even in our churches today, are living in spiritual drought because we have lost our focus. We have become entitled and stubborn. Revival is about repentance. Revival is turning back to the Lord and doing as He commanded. Revival is a lifestyle, not an event. When Zerubbabel called for revival, things began to change. Haggai chapter 1, verse 12-13 through 13 
says, Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared in the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. When revival took place, when the governor said, build the Lord's house, quit being selfish, stiff-necked people, quit doing for yourself and start doing for God first, he said, I am with you, says the Lord. Church, do we want God to be with us? Consider your ways. Building God's temple is to go to the mountain, is to seek to please God, to put forth the effort, and to make Him our focus, to do so with an attitude of gratitude and be obedient to the service in which He has called us to do. It's time to focus on God's temple. It's time for revival in our land. It's time for us to consider our ways. Because if we will turn to God and have true revival in our land, Repent from our wicked ways. God says, I am with you, says the Lord. Father God, I pray today that this message has been an encouragement to others, that they would turn from their wicked ways and cry out to you. Father, I pray that people would consider their ways. Are they living for you? Are you Lord of their life? Are you the first thing that they think about in the morning? Do they read their word? Do they spend time with you in prayer? Do they go to church? And do they live a life that is pleasing as a child of God should? Lord, if there's any lost, I pray that they would repent and call out to you and ask for salvation and make you Lord of their life. For those of us that are born again that are not doing what we should, Lord, help us to repent and get our lives right that we may build this temple, which is our body, so that our lives will be pleasing to you. Father, I thank you again for this podcast. I thank you for those that listen. I thank you for every opportunity that you give us to preach your word. For all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Father, I give you praise for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about this ministry or consider supporting, visit us at teenchallengeuc.org